We are continuing in our series, The God I Thought I Knew. And we're going to be talking about, is God really in control? My wife teaches piano in our home, and we have several Indian couples uh, that have their kids come uh, to be taught. And this really cute kid came in, and he had this red spot right in the middle of his forehead. And as we started to question him, about, you know, what, what was that about? And he was, he was really open. I mean, this kid was intelligent. <laughs> he started to tell us about it and how it shows devotion uh, to the gods uh, and how it also symbolizes wisdom. And there's a lot of other things as I research. It's called a bindi, that, that red uh, mark on their heads. And sometimes they use it uh, for even just, you know, like uh, decorations, like here's, a famous, oh no, I had another picture in there. This is an, oh, oh, go back, I'm sorry. This is an older woman, of course, uh, with the mark. So it got me thinking about that. So I called John back the next day to uh, learn a little more, refresh my mind about Hinduism. And he realized that Hinduism is the third largest uh, religion in the world. Christianity is number one, and then you have Islam, and then you have Hinduism. One billion people are Hindus. Of course, you have India and then, of course, around the world. And their their religion is based around three main gods, one being the central one, Brahman. Now, under that, you've got 33,000 documented gods under that. <laughs> okay. That's a lot, isn't it? Uh, so they worship all of these gods, and all the gods represent different things, different purposes, uh, that kind of thing. Usually a, a, a Hindu will have a shrine in their home. So we see a picture of it here. So uh, many people in this area, you know, I was talking to Johnny, so yeah, about 70% of Hindus have a shrine in their home. And so what they'll do is they'll take maybe a closet and they'll take the doors off, and then they'll set up a little worship center. It's, uh, I think it's a puja, which means worship. And they will go there, and all those pictures and the idols and things of that nature, they'll worship them. Uh, 5 a.m. in the morning, 5 p.m. at night, typically. They'll come and bow down, and they'll say a prayer in Sanskrit, which they don't understand. But that's what they're told to do. And uh, what they're praying for is not because uh, they love God so much, because these gods are very unpredictable. <laughs> they're, fear, they're fearing these gods. Because you know how Hinduism is. It's all based upon reincarnation. Uh, so you're born as an animal or as a person. And it's the way you build up your karma during your life that determines if you're going to go to the next level. So maybe you're a good dog, and so you become a person. It's an average person, but if you really build up that karma again, well then maybe next time you come back as a baby, you'll grow up to be a very influential leader or a very wealthy person. They say usually it takes seven times around. The worst thing to come back is a rat. <laughs> uh, and even at the temple in India, they, they, they feed the rats because who knows, you know, right? Uh, so it's very unusual. And so 
when we look at uh, the Hindus, when, when they're worshiping God, they're really trying to appease God. They're trying, trying to say, oh, oh, please, God, you know, I love you, I honor you. But they're doing it out of fear because they, they don't want to go down the chain. They want to go up uh, the chain. And so they'll do all these different things. And uh, it's really sad when you think about it. When you think about the gospel, the true gospel, you have all these other religions that are false religions that Satan has maneuvered to move people away from Jesus Christ. It really is uh, very sad. I was talking to John about what's the best way to witness to a Hindu, and he said, well, uh, they believe in reincarnation, so they understand the resurrection. So you can explain to them if you become a Christ follower, you only have to be reincarnated or resurrected once, and you're good, and it's guaranteed. <laughs> That's good news, right? The complication is, when he talks about Jesus Christ after the conversation, they say, well, can you give me a cross? Can you give me a picture of Jesus to add to my shrine room? So they just want another God to help them out, where there's only one God. It really reminded me of Isaiah 50, 46, 5 through 7. Uh, the Israelites had wandered away from God, and, and they were doing exactly what the Hindus are doing. They were taking idols uh, that represented different gods with different uh, specialties, and they took them from neighboring nations and were worshiping them. So God is, is speaking about the idols here. God says, To whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare me that we may be alike? So he's saying, Look at me and then look at the idol. All right. Then it goes on about how they made the idols. Those who lavish gold from the purse and weigh out silver in the scales, so gold idols, silver idols, hire a goldsmith, and he makes it into a god, and then they all fall down and worship. Well, same thing as uh, what we observe with the Hindus. Uh, Verse 7, they lift it to their shoulders, they carry it, they set it in its place, and it stands there. It cannot move from its place. A little sarcasm here. <laughs> you got that great God there, but it's not going anywhere. Uh, if one cries out to it, it doesn't talk back to you. In fact, they really don't have a, a core scripture that they really teach at the temple. and th There's not a lot of education going on. It's really oral tradition that's passed down uh, through the family. And so, therefore, there's not a lot of information. I mean, the Bible, of course, is the Word of God, and we just receive so much encouragement and comfort uh, from it. Now, this is where he really nails them. God says to the Israelites, Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors, which means sinners. Remember the former things of old. He says, look back on our relationship when we were close. Look back when you believed that I was the only one true God. Look back at what I did for you. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. So he is really bringing home the fact that they are out of their minds to be worshiping uh, pieces of gold and silver. It's just wrong because he is God and God is just, uh, we, we can't comprehend who God is. But thank you, uh, thank him, of course, that he loves us. And then uh, we were looking at verse 10, declaring the end from the beginning. 
Now, that talks about the fact that God is in control of everything. It's called sovereignty. We'll talk about that in a moment. But he's in control of everything that happens from the very uh, end uh, to the beginning. And from ancient times, he controlled all that. Things not yet done, he controls all that. My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. And then verse 11, Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of counsel from a far country, I have spoken, I will bring it to pass, and I have purpose, and I will do it. Don't you love that about God? That he's totally in control? He knows exactly what's going to happen. He decrees things. He says, this is going to happen. He allows sin because of free will. Uh, But he says, this is the plan. He knows everything that's going to happen in our lives until we die. And, of course, everything in the future he knows. I'm glad God's in control. What if God was only, let's say, 70% in control? Yeah, he's got a lot of control, but, you know, 30% is kind of up for grabs. How would you feel about a God like that? That wouldn't give me any comfort. (laughs) I don't want to be caught on the 30% end, you know, when he's not looking or or can't control that particular situation. About 99% in control. Do you feel good about that? I don't feel good about that. I don't want to be part of the 1% when it's not out of control. Friends, we need a God who is 100% in control, and that is the God that we have. He is sovereign. Nothing, nothing happens on this earth which He does not decree or allow. And I tell you, that just, this is why it's so important that we study who God is, because in our minds, Many times we have a very small God because we haven't really studied it and uh, made it a part of our lives and our heart. And so we're running around with all these problems and we're just all anxious. uh, But we don't fully realize how powerful God is. We don't realize that he's in total control of our lives and that he's going to help us to get through anything that happens. Uh, So when when you understand how big God is, your problem seems small. But if you don't have a big God, then your problems seem overwhelming. Uh, Psalm 103.19, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rulers uh, rules over all. So that's the idea of sovereignty, of ruling. But he is the ultimate ruler. The definition of sovereign is God is the source of all power, authority, and everything that exists. Nothing, nothing Falls out of his control. Proverbs sixteen thirty three: The lot is cast into the lap. That's like a dice uh, back in that day. But it's every decision is from the Lord. So we can make out our plans and have uh, thoughts about the future, and that's that's fine to do. But you always need to be willing. <laughs> you aware of the fact that God's going to do what He wants to do. So, I mean, your plans might go totally awry. Well, that's because God didn't want you to do that. Right? That's the way God works. And he does that out of love for you. Verse 29 of Matthew, it says, uh, Jesus Christ says, Are you not two sparrows sold for a penny? Uh, So he's talking about the insignificance of sparrows. And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. Now, typically people have looked at that verse and says, Okay, God knows when every 
sparrow falls. No, I, I think it says God makes a sparrow fall. He decrees that the sparrow will fall. Just a couple of years ago when we had a bird fly in our house and he was flying all over the place and unfortunately he ran into the shoe closet and that was the end of the bird. Now, God made that happen. He made that bird fly into my house. It was the end of that bird's life and boom, that was his intention. You try to... You beginning to understand, <laughs> you know, how sovereign he is in everything. Oh, and this is great. You look at the story of Jonah. You see how in control he is of every little thing. Jonah was told to go and witness to the Ninevites, and they were just like, oh, wicked, wicked people. Everybody hated the Ninevites, but God told him to go there. Well, he didn't go there. He got on a boat to Joppa, and you know the story. Eventually got thrown overboard. And he appointed a great fish. So, said to the great fish, you're going here. Okay. And he swallowed Jonah for three days. And uh, then he was spit up again. And so, then he did go to Nineveh, probably still reluctantly. And of course, I mean, it was a revival. Everybody, you know, started to turn toward God. And that really made Jonah mad because he didn't want these people uh, to know the grace of God. So he's sitting out there sulking, and it says in verse 6, Now the Lord God appointed a plant. God appointed a plant. He decreed a plant. Have you ever heard of a plant being given a mission? I haven't, except for here in in Scriptures, uh, that it might come over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head, to save him from his discomfort. Now, what he was doing is he's going to give him an object lesson here because he's going to take away the plant. And he's saying, hey, why can't you rejoice over the Ninevites? I mean, you love that plant so much. Why can't you love them? So Jonah was exceedingly glad because the plant. Now, this, this is where it even gets better. Uh, we look at uh, verse, uh, next verse. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm. Has a worm ever been appointed in the world? I mean, has any human being said, I confirm upon you the power to uh, help my lawn out. I'm appointing you particularly. And I'd like you go to the left. <laughs> That's who God is. He, 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 something as insignificant as a, as, a worm, as a worm that is. I mean, you see them all out in the parking lot after the rain. and uh, But... They mean something to God, and he uses them. And so we see that uh, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it's withered. So just that short illustration of Jonah, God appoints everything. He decrees it or he allows it. Uh, Another thing is that, uh, of course, he's in control of the whole universe. It's not just his world. It's the whole universe. We look in Isaiah 40, 26. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. It's God, obviously, right? The stars. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name. God has a name for each star. How amazing is that? These people who are selling stars, I don't think they know that. Because they wouldn't, well, they still would, but. (laughs) Right? 
I mean, every star belongs to God, and he's got a name for it. Why would you name a, name a star? Well, it's because it's God. He names stars by the greatness of his might and because he is strong in power and not one is missing. He knows where everyone is. Isn't, isn't this comforting? I mean, if that's how he treats stars and worms, and <laughs> just the fact that he is in total control of your life. Even when bad things happen, he's still in control and he's going to use those bad things, even if it's your own sin, to grow you, to help you to mature, to become more like Jesus Christ and experience life as he desires you uh, to experience it. Now, we got a little bit of taste of winter uh, this morning. And I don't know, people I've talked to, I, I haven't heard myself, they said this is going to be a worse winter. I can't imagine that, but who knows? Uh, uh, you know, who decreed last year's winter? God did. That's right. He's the one who gave us that long winter. So this is the verse you guys really need to focus on. Uh, he sends out his command to the earth. His word runs swiftly. He gives snow like wool. He scatters frost like ashes. He hurls down the crystals of ice like crumbs. Who can stand before his goal? That's a good question. I like that question. <laughs> Who can stand? I can't. <laughs> but the point is, I want you, to, I want you guys to print this out, uh, put it in your car, put it on your fridge. So every time you see that snow and you're upset about it, you're saying, that is God. That is God. He knows every flake that comes down. See, we can't comprehend this because we're just people, right? God's thoughts are higher uh, than our thoughts. Daniel's two, Daniel 2.21, he changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. Now, how many people believe that the United States elected Barack Obama in the last two elections? Well, the United States really didn't do that. God put Barack Obama in office. God put Clinton in office. God put George Bush in office and his father in office. God appoints the kings for his own purposes. Now, we might not understand what he's doing, but he appoints them. Not only does he appoint them, but it says in uh, Proverbs 21.1, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. So what he's doing with Obama or any president that serves is he gets his he gets his work done, his decrees done through that person. Now they think it's them. They have no idea that God's directing everything. But God gets what he wants done for his master plan. I mean, we look at this world so filled with chaos, so full of hot spots. I mean, this year is more significant than many years in the past. But at the same time, God's still in control. And he is, again, controlling it all. And it's all moving toward his will. The problem is, guys, is that we are too self-centered and man-centered. All right? We're always thinking about ourselves. We always look at the world through our universe like we're the only one that actually is important. <laughs> but the point is, is that we've got this awesome God, all right? And he's got this huge, unbelievable plan. And we might not be able to understand it, but we know that he is going to fulfill it. 
So the whole idea through this series, and of course, as you study God's Word, when you really understand how big God is, your, your problems become small because you realize He's in control. But the problem is that so many of us have a little God, and we don't think He has much power. And I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll give mental assent to it, but we don't really believe it. And it changes the way we, we handle life from day to day. If we know about God's sovereignty and God's omnipresence and all the different things that we've been talking about. Uh, now, so I know there's a question that you're having right now. Right? And you're saying, okay, wait a second, hold on. God is totally sovereign over everything he calls the shots. How can we have any free will as people? How can we make a choice that it hasn't already been determined by God? And uh, that is a very significant question. And that is a question that has been debated over <laughs> these thousands of years in terms of, you know, how, how do you reconcile those two things? That man has free will, but that God is really controlling everything. Uh, now, again, there's a difference between God decreeing something uh, and saying, this is what I want to do, this is my purpose, and allowing something. So he allows sin in the world, but he's not the author of sin. Now, if we look at uh, a definition that I think will be helpful for you, uh, antinomy. Uh, an antinomy is a logical contradiction between principles that are both affirmed in Scripture. So you have two different things that are spoken about in Scripture, but they don't, you can't harmonize them. Like the Trinity, God is one, God is three, Jesus is man, Jesus is God. In the limits of human logic, these cannot both be true, but they are biblically evident. So, an antimony is the Trinity, right? I mean, how many have accepted the mystery of the Trinity? See, I'm never going to understand that one, you know. I can teach about it till I'm blue in the face, but I, I don't understand it. I mean, I understand the different roles and that type of thing, but it doesn't really make sense. I mean, three God, one God, three manifestations, you know. I mean, Jesus Christ coming to earth and being a man and a God, it just doesn't make any sense uh, to us. And in fact, I was talking with Bill Faith after the service, and he said that he was talking to his four-year-old, and he was just trying to explain something to him. And the kid just couldn't get it. He didn't have the mental capacity to understand. And that's a great illustration between us and God. There are things that God does that we just don't have that we're like four years old, and we just can't get it. And, and, but we, we want to get it. We want to harmonize it. We want it to be nice and tight so you know, we can live it out. Well, friends, you've got to live with a mystery of the Trinity. You've got to live with a lot of mysteries in the Christian life. You just have to trust God. Well, the big question is always salvation. Can a per, does a person have free will to make a choice to follow God, or has God already predestined that person to become a Christian and then it happens? Well, you look at Ephesians 1.4. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. So that's, that's pretty clear right there. That God chose who is going to be a Christ follower uh, before the world 
uh, began. And we say, well, that's not fair. Well, it's God. He didn't choose you because, you know, you were not as bad as the other person. No, he just made his choices. That's called uh, predestination, right? He chose those people who were going to follow Jesus Christ. Now, another word in regards to this is foreknowledge. Uh, So he had the foreknowledge. Now, there's different camps here because people have been trying to harmonize this for a long, long time. So you got John Calvin, and uh, he's a great Christian leader, and he had a large following. And out of his teachings came Calvinism, those type of beliefs. Uh, And they uh, basically put a lot of focus on God's sovereignty. And they say, God is the one who does this. The elect, those who are chosen uh, to be Christ followers, that decision was made uh, before uh, the world began. And, you know, a person is spiritually dead. There's no way a person can respond to God without actually uh, being brought alive by the Spirit. So God does everything. Now, the problem is when you get to extremes with that, uh, you kind of say, whatever, you know, God's going to work everything out. Uh, and, uh, but the other side of it is Ar- Arminius. Jacob Arminius uh, was a great teacher, and there was a group that followed him. And that's another uh, systematic uh, theology system where they say, well, we're not quite totally spiritually dead. It's kind of like we're in our deathbed and we can still breathe and understand and think. And, and therefore, we have a little bit of free will there uh, to respond to God on our own. Okay? Now, again, the Bible teaches God is sovereign. We can't do anything to save ourselves. At the same time, they're saying, well, we have to have some type of free will. So as you look at these different systems... Uh, you see them trying to harmonize these two tracks, God's sovereignty and man's free will. And friends, you'll never be able to harmonize them. They are just like the Trinity. They're antinomy. We, 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 don't, we don't understand. We'll never understand. And it's so funny how people just want to, I've got to figure that out. I've got to figure that out. Well, Job tried to do that, right? Remember Job? Satan came to him. Uh, that is, he came to God. And he said, hey, can I, you know, test Job out to see if he's really a, a true God follower, not just somebody who does it during the good times. He had to get permission from God because he's sovereign, right? And God says, go ahead. And, of course, you, you know what happened to Job. And in the end, he, he finally had a chance to talk to God, and he asked why. And then God just asked a series of questions to him. You know, can you do this? Which all things that God could do. He's kind of like saying, well, what he basically was saying is I am God. And you don't need to know why this happened to you. That's not fair. Wait a second. I am God. And I don't have to tell you what happens. That's not fair. <laughs> That's how we're like sometimes, right? But again, God, his thoughts, his ways are just way, way above us. And and on certain issues like this, we just have to accept them. Uh, Now, here's what's interesting. If if you look at Ephesians 1-4, where it talks about the fact that uh, we're chosen before the beginning of the world to be Christ followers, 
Then you go to Matthew 28, 19, and 20. And Jesus Christ says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, if it was divine sovereignty, he would say, Go and find the predestined ones. <laughs> right? <laughs> Don't go to everybody. Why waste your time, right? Just find the people who are chosen. So there's the intimacy again in the sense that uh, he's saying, Go to everybody and ask. And then he's saying, well, we've already chosen them. That doesn't make any sense whatsoever, does it? That's right. It doesn't because we're not God. And that's so, And again, I know this might be new for some of you. Uh, this is a very complex issue, and I know your brain's spinning right now. <laughs> I really would encourage you to study it for yourself. Uh, evangelism and the Sovereignty of God is, is the best book I've re ever read about this particular issue. But you should study and wrestle through it. But I tell you what, you know, I've been to school and studied the Word, and after all that time, that's where I come down. <laughs> it's just, it's like the Trinity. It's a mystery that I have to accept. We see the uh, divine uh, sovereignty of God, and we see man's responsibility in Philippians 2, 12 to 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so know not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation. That's man's responsibility, right? To work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, with respect for God. But then it switches gears right away and it says, For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So what's the deal here? I mean, if God's doing it, why do I have to do it? Well, because you have free will. And you need to work hard at becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. Now, but at the same time, God is the one who gives you the power or gives you the initiative to be able to do that. So how do you reconcile that? How do you harmonize it? You can't. You can't. You just have to accept it. And uh, again, once you come to that point, uh, it's, it's very freeing just to accept that you can't understand it. And that's, of course, what I would encourage you to do. Uh, if you look at it, if you have any questions, uh, you know, talk to me. Romans 11:33. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. The depth of the riches and wisdom. And knowledge of God. Again, as I said last week, every day in eternity we'll learn something new about God. And we'll never truly know Him. Because He is so much more than we could ever comprehend. What I want to do is have a response here to these wonderful truths. So I'll do things a little differently. What's going to happen is, is that we're going to uh, show a video. Maybe you've heard before, That's My King, an African-American, a preacher, just, just praising the Lord uh, for who he is. And then after that video is over, uh, we're just going to spend several minutes in individual prayer. Just look at your insert and look at all the different things we've talked about and thank God for who he is. Identify your problems and say, Thank God that you're in control and it seems like everything is, you know, falling apart. 
but you are in control. Uh, so we're going to have that time of worship. And then at the end, I'll walk out, and you can leave at that time, or if you want to stay and pray some more, you can do that as well. Let's watch the video. The Bible says my king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the aged. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's the key to knowledge. He's the wellspring of wisdom. He's the doorway of deliverance. He's the pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is light. I wish I could describe him to you. Yes, he's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. You can't get him out of your mind. You can't, you can't get him off of your hand. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. Well, the Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him. And the grave couldn't hold him. Yeah! That's my king. That's my king.